0: I'm Rick Zackleberry, co-founder, chairman, CEO of Origin Clear. The government needs to continue to provide a lot of abundant clean water. But what happens to it after it's used when it's dirty? Do you know that 80% of all sewage is never treated? It's just dumped that leads to water scarcity, but it also leads to a lot of disease and pollution, the ocean turning into something horrible. At the same time, the cities and counties are not getting the funding they need to really treat the water, and so they can't keep up. The solution is let the people who use the water clean the water. Water on Demand is investment in actual capital assets that earn income. Sign up to hear my weekly briefing every Thursday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, just put oc.gold/ceo in your browser, register for the briefing, and I look forward to hearing more from you. Welcome, everyone, to the CEO briefing. It's a pleasure to have you on board, and we're going to get right on it. Robert Baxter says, let's go, Rangers. Right on, right on. And I'm actually mastering uh, clicking the things without restarting the video. So here we go. It is June 9th. Briefing number one hundred and sixty-three. Who'd have thunk? Um, and by the way, there were many more before that. I remember back in the day, we I used to do um, these little squat box uh, phone calls for brokers. That's how it started. I would do a, a broker call back when we when there were brokers. Anyway, um, then you know, one fine day, about uh, three years ago now, um, we started doing the videos. I remember very well. It was actually very interesting. And, uh, Bob thanks says, thank you. Got connected with Ken today. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Ken, Ken is, uh, well, you know, Ken is the man who knows too much. That's, that's the truth. So with that, um, I'll leave it at that. All right. So now there was a great, great podcast on the wealth exchange, which is a top, top podcast by our top advisor, Ivan Ans, and Ivan, uh, heads of a program called Philanthro Investors, which is already you know, in the Inc. 500 in the real estate and now stepped over into water. And he talks a little bit about this and about us in this very revealing reportage. So let's jump right into it, shall we?
1: Ivan, thank you so much for joining us today. You've got a really interesting story. Can you tell us more about Philanthro Investors
2: and how it came to be? In the future, People will be more conscious with their money. Money will not be going to places where it's just growing money for money. Money will be going to places where it is improving the humanity and growing at the same time. So like capital growing while helping others, making money while changing people's lives, investing, not just investing, but investing with the purpose.
1: One of the industries that your company is focusing on now, though, is water. And maybe we could, I just wanna talk about that a little bit. What's happening with this resource? How is it affecting people and businesses around the world? Maybe tell our listeners a little bit about that.
2: Yes, Ron, because I started Philanthro Investing with housing first and I did housing for 10 years and I very strong, the company that represents housing Philanthro Investing is called Equity and Help and it's an in 500 company for three years in a row and so on, established in Florida. CEO, uh, you know, 250 team members between, uh, you know, employees and independent contractors and so on. But in 2019, I go to the internet. I remember that night, like it was like 11 p.m. And I stay like until 1 a.m. in my laptop. I start researching and I find 6,000 kids die from water related diseases every single day. And 80% of the water is released untreated worldwide. 80%. And 1%, only 1% of the water the U.S. recycles, only 1%. And the water structure is crumbling. And there, there is right now, in the next decade, will be 3 million jobs needed just in the water industry to be able to keep the infrastructure that is needed in order for us to have clean water and for the farming industry to have clean water and for the industrial industry to have clean water and for us to drink clean water 3 million jobs just in the US Wow and then the US needs a budget of 150 billion in order to be able to keep up with the need, the, the necessities for the water industry in the next 10 years and the budget that the government the US government has is only 40 billion so we are missing 110 billion so I start researching and I say I need to find the most Innovative because I love innovation. And if you research my companies, every single one of them is very innovative. Right. It's like, yes, yeah, so it's very innovative. And I need to find the most innovative water company in the world. I need to find a founder that is a disruptor. I need to find the Elon Musk of water. And then I look and look and look. And I found it. <laughs> it's kind of God sent it to me. One day I was on Facebook and I see um uh, briefing by CEO and founder for Origin Clear water is the new gold and i say oh my gosh and i go to that webinar and i just discover this amazing entrepreneur Mr. Riggs Eckelberry creating the most disruptive company but he's not only creating this most disruptive water company he was creating the only water companies. Incubator worldwide. And it just blew me away. And I just get with him and I just start learning more. And he tells me more about and he says, we are launching this different, and, and that was at you know the beginning of 2020. Right. We are launching these different spin-offs. We are launching the most innovative water companies in the world. And the first company was water on demand. And I say, What is this water on demand? How is that? Well, he tells me, do you understand what happened with Tesla? How they disrupted the energy, like, and with the car industry and the energy industry? Yes. I say, well, he tells me that is what we're going to do. That is origin clear. You see, like, what is clear is the motherhood of all these different spin-offs like Tesla did with the car industry, like Tesla did with the solar industry. And then they went to the homes. Every place where energy is needed, and I say, okay, yes, tell me more. Well, water on demand is one of the spin-offs, and water on demand is similar to how Netflix converted the movies and disrupted um, and you know got blockbuster to go bankrupt because they didn't innovate, right? Right. Imagine, imagine a waterflix. Imagine that residential in housing in in self-sustainable. Housing developments uh, that has their own high water quality that do not depend on the city, and that they have their own water flick subscription, right? Right. And imagine all these water companies worldwide with their own waterpreneurs that are certified by Water on Demand to receive funding and to create what they call water bank, and this water bank is financing the local what wa- the, the local water companies that are manufacturing using the technology patented by Origin Clear to th- give the equipments necessary to that housing developments farming industry commercial industry for everybody to don't depend on the city and have really high quality fda approved water even for the animals if needed you know
1: so what i'm hearing is you know again, uh, water is a new gold, but it's not just gold for investors. It's actually gold for the users, right? It's an end for user the, product gold. for the people themselves, yes. exactly. And yes, so and, I, yes. and so some of the things that uh, you just mentioned, could you elaborate a little bit about what you know what your your team is doing, what they're uncovering, what they're seeing in terms of opportunities to better Um, the usage of water and the sustainability of that.
2: Yes. And and that's something else that we had conversations with Riggs. I remember we said it's not about the water. It's about the people. Water is the new gold for the investors, but it's also the new gold for the people. It's not about the water. It's about the people. And these self-sustainable communities is the future. Because if you look at it, imagine a community where it's not depending on, upon the government. It's not depending on the government. It's not depending on the government for electricity. It's not dependent on the government for water. It's even not dependent in the, in the government for food. Right. And imagine these multi-communities of 100 to 200 families, that they are all together and they interact between each other and then the self-sustainable community has the capacity of self-sustainable water by water on demand, high quality, but instead of paying the, the water bill to the government, they pay the water bill to water on demand. Right. And now let's take it over to the side of the investor. The side of the investor is very unique because you are very familiar with the crypto world, right?
1: Yes, of course.
2: Okay, everybody's familiar with Bitcoin. Do you know that in Bitcoin, you have multiple ways ways to invest? In crypto in general, you can buy the Bitcoin and you can hold the Bitcoin. You can trade the Bitcoin, like be a trader and buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell, right? Or you can mine the Bitcoin and you can buy these mining machines and you can have a third party, which is an outsourced service that basically holds your machine and controls your machine and make it produce and make sure that the electricity is there. Or you can have that machine at your home, right? You can say, and you can manage it yourself. But you are an investor. You don't have time to be managing that Bitcoin machine. So that's Bitcoin man- mining. So there is this third party third party companies that service these machines. And what they produce, they produce, they produce certain amount of Bitcoins and the, the managed service company gets a percentage of that profit and gives you another percentage of that profits, isn't right. it? Yeah. Okay. So now that you have that Bitcoin mining machine, for $100,000, normally you now buy like five of that machines if you want the powerful ones, right? Yeah. What, what value are you adding to the world? You are adding more Bitcoins, more digital currency. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So now imagine if with $100,000, you can buy a water-on-demand water recycling or water mining machine. That would be very valuable, I would think. Exactly. Now you're starting to get it to get it, because now you're adding to the world the most valuable asset and the most valuable resource that the world can have. Better water for all, for the Abs- people.
1: Absolutely. We can survive as a species with less Bitcoin. We can survive even with a little less food at times, but
2: water is that which sustains all life. This water mining machine, is outsourced by water and demand. This machine, the, the, Bitcoin in ma- the Bitcoin machine will be there for two years max, because then you need the technology changes and so on. But the water mining machine is there for 25 years or maybe more, and it's recycling water and water. And water and demand is sharing a profit with the water philanthropy investor that is supporting that cause in the planet, which is the water for people. It's not just about the water. It's about the people.
0: Well, that's a short clip from that podcast, but I thought you would enjoy it because I think Ivan does a great job of breaking it down, and I, I love that Bitcoin analogy in the sense that you know Bitcoin mining is um, is something that uh, essentially mines Bitcoin, and here you know uh, we're mining water. That's kind of cool concept. So I really appreciate uh, Ivan, and clearly he gets it. He understands what water demand is all about, and um, in fact uh, this week. Um, Philanthro Investors hosted uh, a group of 109 investors um, presented to by the president of Philanthro Investors, Avendi Rios. So we're very pleased uh, at the continuing hard work of the Philanthro Investor team. He says, Ivan is a very enthusiastic and positive, positive influencer. He's cool. That is for sure. Well, he's not only enthusiastic. I think that, you know, he's obviously... he. You know, very, uh, use a long word, perspicacious, He's he's got perspicacity, he he uh, understands things, which is super cool. Wow, that was a 25 cent word. All right, so with that, I'm going to jump into an article that was just published through the efforts of our PR agency, Finance Digest, um, and they wanted to know about uh, how intuition plays a part of this. This is kind of one of these human human interest stories. Uh, so let's see what what they had to uh, report. So um, they were looking for what about intuition? What part of that is it? Is it? And um, you know, really, what it's about is um, how do you get the smoke signals? You know, I, I know I get, and other CEOs get it. Just a huge amount of data just flowing across, flowing across, and how can you just sort of get those little little indications that something that you can pull the string on. And, uh, and maybe, you know, find out what's really going on. So that's, in this article, it's about the intuition. And um, of course, you know, data is vital. Um, but, you know, the, the fact is, is that, as I have said here, the truth about business is that it's a continuous creation and you have to recognize new trends. Um, and pattern recognition is one thing, like I see what's happening, but then you actually have to make it a business decision. Um, and I tell the story about this thing that happened early on when we are still in the algae industry. And um, we made our first, first big sale of, a, of a, an algae um, processing, algae harvesting system. It was a million-dollar sale. It was a big deal. And um, all of a sudden, we had this really tough guy. And uh, even though the machine had already been commissioned and approved in LA before it was shipped to, um, to Australia, he said you know we're gonna uh ask for our money back and and they were even stealing our our patents and so we went all out and um i was told not to do it and what's crazy is that um the CEO andrew to this day is a Facebook friend and uh, very cordial he came and visited the um our site and it really you know made the point to me that um Again, that was an intuitive thing that everybody was telling me, oh, my God. The most recent thing that, that you know, uh, the trend that, that we saw was this thing about how all of a sudden on our existing business, we're starting to get all of these human communities showing up, um, housing developments, uh, RV campgrounds, um, high-end hotels, um, travel stops, and all these, and trailer parks, of course. And... Um, and the Alabama one's only one of them. There's, there's more. So we're seeing all this traffic show up in all, you know, all these like, uh, human communities. We realize that there's an opportunity here to help people who are tr- who are migrating away from the big cities and don't get good service where they are. And we can make them independent. And that literally created the Water for Us initiative, which uh, we're launching right now and we're busy developing. So that kind of you know, told the story behind how we decide things very rapidly. Now, I wanted to, um, while we were on the topic of megatrends, that migration megatrend, well, here's an interesting one. Let me just pull this up um, on CNBC.
3: New data from the IRS showing that the wealthy and their high incomes moved at a much faster rate in 2020. Robert Frank has more on the great wealth migration. Robert, what's going on? Well, Andrew, new report from the IRS showing that the Northeast and California lost over $40 billion in income in 2020. New York losing nearly $20 billion in income from out-migration that year, more than twice the losses of 2019. California also nearly doubling its losses to $18 billion. Connecticut, New Jersey, and Illinois losing a combined $11 billion in income. Now, most of the winners, as we might expect, we're low-tax states, especially Florida. Florida adding a net $24 billion in personal income in 2020. Texas adding about $12 billion, with Arizona and Nevada also seeing strong gains. But if you drill down, you look at specific state-to-state migration, taxes actually become slightly less important. Now, New Yorkers did go to Florida. That was their top pick. But their second most common destination for New Yorkers was New Jersey, which gained $5.3 billion from New Yorkers who moved there. California also gained $3 billion from New Yorkers. They, of course, have a higher tax rate, but California ended up losing more than twice that to Texas and Arizona. Now, The average income of those leaving high-tax states continues to push higher. New York lost about 1.6% of its population, but nearly 3% of its income. So that shows that the people who left were the biggest earners and some of the biggest taxpayers. Andrew, so this is
0: interesting. That um, the I- economic impact of these migrations is greater than the actual number of people, because these are the earners, and that that's not a very good thing for these these megacities. I think that we're going to see transformation of the megacities, um, and more and more movement towards the secondary cities, and that that is really uh, borne out by what we're seeing with the you know the the what we're calling water for us, which is the new initiative to serve these human communities that are springing up often in underserved areas for water. All right. Now, um, I've been telling you about commodities and you know, real estate's interesting because it's been booming. Of course, now we've seen that the, uh, the price of a mortgage is is rising fast. And as a result, um, there's big layoffs happening in the mortgage industry. But here's another thing. Did you know that lumber, uh, which took off, is now dropping fast. And um, that really goes to show that when you have commodities that are at a high price, and this goes for all of them, including oil and gas, you're in danger of bubbles bursting. So sure enough, the lumber prices have fallen almost 50% year to date, 65% down from the high. They're saying it should help the housing market. Well, good luck, because here's what's gonna happen. The drop in demand in the housing market is gonna further impact Demand for lumber, and so people who were, you know, going crazy for lumber uh, and and you know bidding high for uh, for scarce lumber supplies are now seeing a glut. And uh, the very last sentence here that there's decent underlying demand that will support housing construction. Well, we shall see, won't we? All right, now um, the war is in the headlines, but Actually, water is a major source of wars, and we have that going on, a very good article in Zero Hedge, where there's two kinds, um, three kinds rather. Uh, One is over control of water. The other one is where water is used as a weapon, like, for example, somebody building a dam upstream and keeping the water from the downstream, and then uh, water being lost because of violence, for example, when Iraq... Um, drained all of their swamps in order to scare out all of the rebels um, before the U.S. came in, and that was a terrible destruction of the um, the delta there. That was typically a casualty of the efforts to eradicate the, um, the the rebels, right? The Tigris and the Euphrates delta. Delta. Okay. So, as you would guess, Asia is the hot spot. Not only Asia proper like the main part of Asia, but also uh, China. Um, and China is very uh, difficult because they are doing that holding back of water. Uh, they keep, they're more and more uh, trying to hold dam water that is supposed to go downstream to India, Bangladesh. Same thing is going on with uh, Ethiopia, Ethiopia um, building a dam that could really hurt Egypt. This is some nasty stuff. And here's a chart that shows that a tremendous rise in water conflicts. Um, and what that says really is that, that water is in a scarce situation, right? That, that scarcity breeds conflict. Um, here is a chart that shows how many conflicts are going on worldwide. And I'm gonna show you immediately here, a chart of the water stressed areas. And if you were to flip back and forth, you can see that they kind of match, right? Now, if you look at this chart of water-stressed areas, the American Southwest, the West and Southwest are hugely stressed. Interestingly enough, a lot of Europe is. I'm talking about the red spots. And then uh, look at India. India, with the largest population in the world, has the most water stress. And then all the way through the the, uh, Fertile Crescent, as it was once called, where the, the Crescent is actually dark red. It's no longer, no longer fertile, right? So we have a problem there. Um, it has a lot to do with, of course, land management, um, because you know proper stewardship of water uh, is a big part of land management. So this is a really interesting chart because it shows some quite quite amazing areas where water is a major issue. Look at South Africa, for instance. Uh, China has got a big problem. Uh, big parts of Russia. Look at Italy. Italy is completely red as is Greece and Turkey so um, that tells us a lot is um, is contributing to these conflicts okay now I wanted to I had promised to to cover uh, exponential progress and this is a good little video that I saw from investor place which is a good source of information um, now this is linear progress and You know, you sell one, then another, then another, and you kind of grow. You grow, you grow 10, 15, 20% a year and just kind of keep growing. And uh, that's perfectly good. And that's what we've, um, you know, the water industry conventionally is in linear progress. Well, we're not satisfied with that. We want to see exponential growth. That is progress that multiplies in power with each step. So it's one on top of the other. There's a famous story about the, there was a, a very wise man who, the emperor of China wanted to reward, and uh, the the wise man said, all I want is I want a grain of rice that doubles for each box on this chessboard. And the king said, is that all you want? And the, the wise man said, there's not enough rice in China to fill that board if each one doubles. So that's kind of what exponential progress is all about. And here it, here it is. Now, what's interesting about this is, is that it snowballs, it starts slow and builds and you get sort of technology on top of technology. Like this is what we've been doing at Clear. We're innovating on top of innovation, on top of innovation, on top of innovation, and it starts to get some momentum. This is why we were up, revenue was up 55%, which is huge for a water company in Q1. When a small number grows at an exponential rate, the first stages of growth aren't incredible. And uh, it doesn't soar upward. And that's why it's hard to see. And it's not until the later stages that these big gains are noticed. So there's something called an inflection point where things really start to snowball and you see the change. You can see that in in history right now. We're only beginning the exponential progress. And we know there's been a tremendous amount of technology gains. It's only the beginning. So that has tremendous business and investment ramifications, of course. And you also want to think always about what it means for how the economy works and how to build wealth. Um, I also promised that I would tell the Michael Berry story, but first I'm going to uh, invite Ken to join me for the free-willing discussion. We're gonna we're gonna get into it. So um, fascinating stuff, right? Yeah, and you're looking at two refugees, uh,
4: the folks that are out there on the that were you know uh, I was a. New York escapee and you, uh, uh an LA escapee. And, um, Correct. I have conversations with, you know, I have, uh, I live in a great neighborhood with wonderful people who are, uh, business owners, very affluent folks. And they, and they bitch and whine about the taxes. And I just go, shh, yeah, right." just, shh, just, it's fine. Just let it go. Let it go. Elsa. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it, it, what, what I found alarming and not alarming for us, cause we're out, but, um, that's an unrecoverable loss of uh, when, 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 when among your wealthiest are leaving. I mean, these are not middle class people by, by average, right? I would imagine that they're probably in your uh, top two or three percent of incomes, right, that have left. I, I, I think that was $20 billion of income left New York. That's a stunning number. I mean, they have a three billion or so bill- dollar shortfall on taxes now. What, what, what's it going to be you know when the, when the catch up of those revenues so um, I, I think a lot of these high tax states are going to have to rethink because um, places like California, Florida, and Tennessee are going to eat their lunch and now that lumber's down, I may, may, may start building those two homes on that lake in in Tennessee that I own those two lots so that that's interesting so uh, thanks for the update on that. I wasn't aware that it it had dropped that much i I stopped calling contractors after a while. I just said, I don't want to hear it you know All right.
0: Yeah. No, but I think there's going to be a lot of building going on, and and it's going to be specialized building. For example, the we're helping to build a tiny homes uh, development uh, in South Dallas, um, and that's going to be a very good model uh, because here's what's going to happen. Especially when cities get hollowed out, you 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 end up with poor populations, more homelessness, etc., and they got to take care of people, and so that's when these special projects you, you're no longer you know, we had the projects in Manhattan. Well, those we're not going to get those anymore. It's going to be no tracks. It's going to be housing you tracks. You mean the great, you mean the great society type stuff, right? Yeah. Well, the stuff even before that. Remember okay. uh, wartime special projects?
4: Oh, right, right, sure. I mean, in the entirety of Levittown. Levittown yeah. was built. Levittown, Long Island, was built post-war to house all the home, all the homecoming soldiers. Right. It was an entire community of these little, you know, little homes. Um, the yeah, they they really were. They were you know the little cro- checkerboards, right? Um, so the, um, as you mentioned, the slowdown in, in new construction will depress prices even further on the building side. I think this represents an absolutely extraordinary opportunity for one or for us. And here's why. Builders aren't going to really be able to make, they're going to be building homes to just stay busy and keep even and, keep, and make their payrolls, right? They're not going to be earning money. Uh, they're not going to be making a lot of money uh, in these depressed times because it's going to be slim pickings. I believe that the water for us communities, completely independent communities with water and so on and so forth, will carry significant premiums. By the way, who's moving? Relatively rich guys, right? Right. Exactly. I, you know, like that. Like I was talking about that. that, you know, that big community that I wanted to work on. And, and, and that's going to be upper, upper echelon earners. That's going to be, you know, fairly, fairly affluent people. So um, I, I think the water for us um, as a, for builders, I think it could be an absolute boom for them. And and what a great way to really get out the message, because I think that they could be the best carriers of our message.
0: You know what I mean? because they there'll be, it'll be very self-promoting. Gene Tully says, "Ken, fellow ex-New Yorker remember how Mario Cuomo drove so much business out of New York when he was governor? You know, he was a master at that. No,
4: he told me. He told me he didn't want me there anymore. I went, okay. Okay. Mario Cuomo said, if you're this, this, this we don't want you. I said, okay, bye.
0: Right. Um, I was going to tell the Michael Burry story because I'll, I can't tell you how many people go, oh, yeah, water. That's the big short. At mm-hmm. the end of the big short, Michael Berry is going to go into water. Well, Michael Burry did go into water what he found was the existing legacy world of centralized water was so political, he became disgusted. Yeah, right. And he bailed and he went into uh, farms, uh, agricultural, which is indirect use of water. And it he did very good. well. I mean, he's doing extremely well. But here's the thing is that, um, and that's the problem with centralized water. It's so tied up with the politics and the big, big water companies and the municipal bonds and so forth. Mm-hmm. whereas decentralized water democratizes the whole thing. And I I, I, I kind of think that if Michael Burry had stepped into water on demand, he would have been, I like this. That yeah, might've been good for us too. I'm thinking I, I, eh,
4: Michael Burry, you know, but. Tell him I'll return this call. Um, give me the long bus. I'm on with Elon lot. right now. I can't take Michael's call. I'm on with Elon. Um, so the, <laughs> what, uh, I had a conversation today with um, actually, um, it was a couple of uh, philanthro investor uh, folks. Um, It it ended up being more than one person, Uh, but they immediately said, "So you're doing this in in the cities in the municipalities?" Negative. And he said, "Why?" I said, "Simple. Um, You could take a three month project and make it take five years. That way, besides, there's so many layers of bureaucracy, and then you get to the bad stuff, which is the nepotism, right? You know, you spend two years bidding a job." you know whining and dining, right? And then he goes, Yeah, I gave it to my cousin or my friend or or something or, like that. Or so the lobbying
0: big water company, right? Or the
4: or, or the guy, right, or the guy who took me to the, you know, to the fancier
0: restaurant. Right, exactly. Right. Madison Square Garden. Exactly. Yeah. Or those uh, those hockey games. Sure. They, they used to take me there. You know, the, the bankers used to take me to there.
4: And I was asked, I was going to ask Gene Tully if he watched my Penguins beat the Rangers a couple weeks ago. I didn't know if he caught that game, but we'll
0: talk about it another time, Gene. So um, really what's going on here is, uh, yes, it reports, yes. So um, just a quick update about what's happening on the, the front. I was, yesterday I showed some pieces of the institutional uh, pitch deck that is now close to done. Tomorrow we will be finalizing the five-year forecast of all of these spinoffs mm-hmm. as to how they are going to break out. And um, I was gonna quickly um, show those two graphs that I, was, uh, that, that I made the other day to kind of illustrate where it's going and here it is. So this was our old model, which everybody knows it was long-term, highly dilutive. We kept packing more value in, packing more value in mm-hmm. and we ended up with all this stuff. We're kind of like uh, almost uh, obese with value. But the problem with that is many things get neglected because you can only the attic three. is full, right? Your attic is stuffed, exactly. Right. So now the new model is take these and export them right. and do it in series so that you can focus fully on one at a time. Now, what does this do to Origin Clear? Well, of course, every single one of these properties, cons- the revenue and assets consolidate into Origin Clear. Um, as long as we're a majority holder, it's 100% consolidation. And even when it goes to a large minority holding, it's still considerable. And so we end up with Origin Clear having a tremendous amount of value. But the, the reason why we can do this has to do with one important factor, and that is the rise of the Regulation A offering. Because, um, and Nightscope uh, really showed us that as a robotics um, startup that was done through yeah. Start Engine, and they raised over $100 million in unaccredited funding right, right. And thousands and thousands and thousands of investors right and it's so healthy it's it's yeah, so democratic really it's really so, good and 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 they and of course you create demand for the product in the process it's really a smart way to go and so Elon Musk said that
4: there were three guys that saved Tesla yep yeah. if it weren't for the right you know in other words the, the bench was so not, was so shallow right he faced disaster so with a wide investor base of course
0: like and that. we have a similar story ourselves. You, you and I were talking about that today, that back in, um, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, um, when really we were, uh, we were strung out on experimentation and, um, and right. then our investors came to the rescue and we did the right thing by them. The people who stuck with us, uh, I believe, are happy. Um, but now we have all that value that we paid so dearly for mm-hmm. in terms of dilution, sure. in terms of blood and treasure. Right? The gray hair you can't see, and, uh, <laughs> but here's, here's what's- what so I kept mine it.
4: so they can see it
0: here. There you go, there you go. Um, what's the beautiful thing is, is that we can focus on one at a time and the right. rest right. keep on trucking. Modular Water just had a $1.5 million May, month of May in booked orders. Right. That used right. to be more than the entirety of the company did in a quarter. So, and there's three people. It's a three-person division. But isn't that isn't that more than they did last year? Okay. So they did um, yeah, no, no question. It is. That, yeah, absolutely. It's more but, than they did the entirety of last year. But how things have changed. So it's a beautiful thing because modular water is standardized. It's not these making by hand. And so because it's standardized, we can ramp it up. And um yes, last week I showed that video of the visit to house and polytank. Our partner there, with whom we're finalizing a very close and and uh, preferential partnership, we give them uh, our business, and they don't circumvent us, which is great. Um, but that showed a standardized pump station, and we can they can knock those things out, bada bing, bada boom. And in fact, water on demand can even help do what's called flooring, right? Uh, when car manufacturers put cars on dealership uh, parking lots, the dealership right. hasn't paid for those. Right. The dealership right. is just paying a small interest rate uh, for it. We're not even gonna do it on an interest ba- rate basis. We're thinking of doing it on a, simply a bounty when the machine is sold. And that's gonna get, but we'll get to that with Verimod, right? So that's future, Right. You know, plenty of time yet. Verimod is the pump station play. And there's and that- just zero customization with that. I mean, they
4: literally the same thing just in varying sizes, right? Yeah, three models,
0: basically. Right, right. So with that, um, I'm going to start wrapping it up. But, you know, we're very happy with how Water on Demand is going. Um, like I say, next week, I'm I'm going to go through the the five-year forecast for the multi-line for, the, for what you see here. Right. And as a result, you're going to be able to see, I think, some pretty interesting numbers. Robert Baxter says, thanks, guys. And uh, we want to thank you. All for having joined us tonight. Uh, as always, goat <laughs> <it's laughs> rangers, okay. you're right? As always, it's a it's a, a great opportunity to get together. And uh, and here's I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say one little thing. Uh, I was interviewed by Fortune this week, Fortune magazine. You ever heard of those guys? Small local no. town paper. No. Yeah. Normally, the interviews run 20, 25 minutes. The guy kept me for forty seven minutes. I looked Good. at my. Office.
4: When are we? When are we seeing that?
0: Ken Sabe. But they have a pretty fast uh, publication schedule. Uh, Gene is still going crazy about Islanders. I know, I know. We'll we'll talk about hockey some other time. All right, everyone. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been wonderful. Again, um, enjoy the rest of the week as it's winding up. Do come next week, and I'm going to clue you into some very interesting forecasts for the next five years. Good night, folks. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, everyone, and good night.